Welcome to The Uncertainties, the podcast for 20-somethings who don't quite have their shit together yet. I'm your host, Karis, and the reason that I started this podcast is because the last few years have been a huge learning curve for me. Entering the world of work, moving out of my family home, trying, and often failing, to face up to the challenges of becoming a fully-fledged adult. It can be overwhelming at the best of times, and I hope I'm not the only one who feels like this. In fact, I know that I'm not, because I'm going to be speaking to a ton of my friends and people that I admire about the struggles that they are facing now, or have in the past, and how they are still able to absolutely smash life. If this all sounds a little bit too serious, don't worry guys, it's basically just going to be a safe space to share life's tragic stories. Hello everybody, Um, I hope you're all good. I firstly just wanted to say a massive thank you for the amazing response to my last episode. I received so many amazing comments and it honestly means so much that people found it insightful or helpful in any way. So genuinely, thank you so much. Um, Secondly, I've just been informed that the British Podcast Awards are currently going on and you can actually vote for this little pod. So um, yeah, the Listener's Choice Award will be open until the 6th of July so I'll put that in the show notes and yeah if you enjoy the podcast it'd be amazing for you guys to to, yeah to vote for me so today's episode is a really big deal for me I had the amazing opportunity to interview Nicole Krenzel and we discuss her coping mechanisms through lockdown and how she's been able to practice self-care during this time uh, and all of her amazing projects and things that she's doing to promote and support black women in creative industries I really highly recommend that all of you guys give her instagram and social media channels a follow because she is promoting really great content including fantastic black businesses that we can all be buying from um and i'll put all of that in the show notes as well so you ain't got an excuse um okay well i hope you guys enjoy the episode Today's guest is Nicole Krenzel, who is truly the definition of a multi-hyphenate boss. She is the founder and curator of Unmasked Women, an exhibition that focuses on mental health through the lens of black British women. In 2018, Forbes listed her as one of 100 women to follow on Twitter and LinkedIn. By the way, I follow on LinkedIn and your page is fire. Um, awarded as Time Out, one of 50 Londoners shaping the city's cultural landscape. She is an established public speaker, curator and festival director of Black Girl Fest I mean like the list is genuinely endless I was lucky enough to come across her when she spoke recently at a bloom event called the comparison trap turning competition into collaborative energy and felt like her speech really resonated with me as I'm sure it did with a lot of other people and just kind of felt like she's the kind of girl that I would love to be my best friend so (laughs) welcome Nicole thank you so much for being on the podcast today Thank you so much, and thank you for such a wonderful introduction. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, yeah, how are you? I just wanted to ask, firstly, how you have found lockdown, because um, I feel like it's it's such a weird situation for all of us to be in, um, and especially kind of thinking about, I feel like a lot of people have recognised that lockdown has, quite, has had quite a detrimental effect for a lot of people with mental health issues, and I just wanted to know how how what your experience has been of it basically and if you've struggled or if you've actually found it it's been much easier than you thought yeah I think it's it's quite interesting because as a freelancer and also as an entrepreneur I'm I'm so used to being like all over the place running around London going to different meetings just being basically in five different locations at the same time um that was my lifestyle that was kind of the kind of 
<laughs> that's the kind of presentation that I, I portrayed of myself. And I realized that that kind of lifestyle wasn't healthy. But with lockdown, um, it wasn't as a huge shift for me as other people who might be working in a nine to five in a corporate office. Because um, I spend a lot of time at home anyway. And I'm quite like, I'm an ambivert. Like I like to be an introvert sometimes as well. Like I like to be at home doing nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah I feel <laughs> that. <laughs> the idea of being at home wasn't the biggest bother but I guess it was the constraints of not being able to do the things that you would usually do to combat stress, anxiety, um, depression, or kind of depressive episodes. So that was probably the big, the biggest challenge, um, not being able to go outside, the restrictions of not being able to engage with people, friends and family. They do have strong emotional pulls to your well-being, and yeah, that being stripped away does have a, a huge effect. And I guess even just from the work perspective as well, like with freelance contracts with projects and brand partnerships all of that just completely like closing up shop overnight was like a huge stress and strain because it's like the whole world suddenly changing within days and that was I I guess the biggest like additional stress to the changes that were happening it was just knowing that you had no control over everything closing up shop yeah I guess with that it's learned I've learned so much about my personal strength my capabilities um how to kind of you know I think naturally all human beings are really good at outwardly seeking uh resolutions for the anxiety and stress by going out with a friend or going for a drink or doing things outside of the house but I've learned you know the act of doing that internally um Mm -hmm. doing that at home and being the kind of fixer of that problem myself um so I guess there's been lots of really amazing positives that have come out of being in lockdown um and also I guess making me really think more deeply about the connections I have with my friends and family and how to better deepen those connections because you want to have those connections even more so than ever because yeah yeah, and it feels so isolating yeah super isolating so I I felt I thought quite deeply actually about my relationships and what they're going to look like once lockdown gets lifted and how I'm going to place so much value in just going to the park with my friends we're in, we're in school do you know what I mean like, always, like, let's go to the park. living for the park it's ridiculous doing nothing monging out wasting time bunking school like you're just in the park chilling and now that's become like the go-to thing to do on yeah. the weekends to go to the park okay you bring the speakers okay you bring the you know what I mean so it's like I'm just even just valuing that there's so many incredible things that you can do in this world you know cinema and all these luxuries and pubs and clubs and all this kind of stuff but Honestly, being in a in a in an open space, uh, two meters from your friends that you haven't seen in ages, just talking about God knows what. There's so much value in that, and I'm I'm yeah, learning to appreciate the value in that like tenfold because it's just like it's those little things that we realise that we were probably taking for granted prior to this that we really now celebrate. Yeah, one hundred percent. I feel like yeah, just stripped of all of the the gizmos and gadgets. It's like actually fundamentally, just quality time with friends is, and family is all you need. Um, what kind of things have you been doing while while you're at home to kind of keep you busy and help with the self care? Yeah, I mean, I I was one of those I was one of those late bakers. I didn't realize that everyone was just on the banana bread. bread. <laughs> I got into the bit of it, but I, I went through this journey of making really bad banana bread, and I just became obsessed with like perfecting the recipe. Yeah. So I, I made a lot. Of like I. It's actually it. really hard to make. So. Um, so I was doing that at the start. Um, I was plugging into all the podcasts, obviously as well, um, which we're definitely going to tune into more of yours as well, because okay. why not? Um, but listening to some of my favorite podcasts. What are your favorite um, at the moment? 
I love listening to the receipts podcast. Oh my god, I love the receipts. They're so great. <laughs> They're so funny. And they got um, a mention on I May Destroy You. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. So just listening to that, sometimes it's just good to kind of plug into like a good old gossip and a bit of a natter that kind of just takes your mind away from like the work and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, I also, I'm an avid TV watcher. Like I don't actually own a TV, but I love watching TV shows. Love that. Yeah. What have you in your faves? I recently got Amazon Prime, but then I'm obsessed with like box sets, like old school box sets. Basically, restarted watching. I've completely finished the box sets for Ugly Betty. Oh, uh, that is great. That is great. Desperate Housewives, Smallville. Oh, okay. You've gone for a very specific time period. I feel like that's like where are we looking at? It's like 2000 and kind of like two to like four ish, isn't it? I like anything that that TV show that existed before the internet, before like cell mm. phones and. Mm-hmm. Because I just I love the fact that this was a this was a generation that I was also a part of where there wasn't technology advanced technology and social media and stuff for people to stay connected. So like when something would happen, you you, you would watch it. You'd like just pick up the phone and call them. So like they didn't have mobile yeah, phones. Then, you know? I think it's so interesting. It feels like watching a dystopian version of what real life is, but that's actually how life used to be. I you know. know? used to have to get home and then receive a phone call. Do you know what I mean? So I, I love watching TV shows like that because it made me makes me think so much about the way um, society was moving. And so I love anything that's like early 2000s. Yeah, um, I love that. Um, I've also recently got back into um, speaking to my therapist as well for probably coming up like just like a month and a half now. Mm. Uh, and I guess for me, it was just really kind of like uh, knowing that Although, you know, being at home, being restricted, speaking to as many friends and family as possible, I still wanted to seek professional support for my anxiety because it was just worsening and I didn't want to get to like, and at that time, you know, we didn't know when things would reopen or even the yeah, conversation. Yeah, it's just so much uncertainty. It was just so uncertain. So you couldn't be like, oh yeah, cool, by July we'll be all good. Um, so I went into the process of speaking to someone really about my feelings and emotions and the things that I was going through and of leaning upon other people who are also in their own lockdown situation. And then you can any... feel guilty feeling like you're burdening them with your problems as well. And then yeah. that's another thing. So it's like, oh. Yeah. So that, I was just like, do you know what? Use a bit of saved income to go and pay for a few sessions. And yeah, and I'm pretty sure like there are, they've probably seen a spike in um, people requesting Skype uh, you know, counselling sessions and stuff because yeah, so many more people being at home now have the time, I guess, if you want to put it down, the time um, and the extra cash from not travelling around so much yeah, to, to pay for services. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm sure there's obviously lots of free um, counselling services as well for young people and stuff. Um, but I, I really wanted to commit to a paid service because sometimes I guess when you're paying for something, you're committing to it as well. Yeah, um, definitely. So, yeah, I've been in therapy sessions and yeah, just doing lots of creative bits as well. I find being just naturally just like creative also really helps things that aren't related to work. So playing around on Photoshop and playing around with all the do- different Adobe um, uh, apps that I used to love doing at university, but I have no reason to do them now. So yeah. um, it puts the pressure off the shoulders when you're not doing it for a client or doing it for a specific reason, just to have a have a kiki and play around with like some of these programs and stuff so I've really enjoyed doing that as well and working out I've actually been working out a regime well I love doing hip workouts yeah I love doing abs 
and like all the kind of I guess personal trainers started doing their yeah it's so great they've moved everything online and it's free I'm like I'm using this time as much as I can before they make it and even the ones who do like a paid service it's still cheaper than what you would pay monthly for the gym oh yeah sure so yeah it's been a huge lifestyle shift for me but not for the worse I think for the yeah. better. I was going to say, it sounds like you've really had a lot of time to just like work and focus on yourself. I feel like we're all looking towards 4th of July now as like the time where like, pubs are reopening, like life is kind of getting back to normal. Do you think that you're going to bring a lot of the things that you've now started practicing in lockdown into your, like resume it into your normal life again? Because it sounds yeah. as though you were so busy before and like kind of just running on adrenaline constantly. Do you feel like you're going to, this has given you a bit of a space to take a, a, a step back and think okay actually I need to rethink the way that I schedule my days or I do this or that do you think that's something that you're going to take into yeah. your post-covid life I guess <laughs> yeah 100% like I was the kind of person that would burn out like frequently like it wasn't it wasn't normal it wasn't right it wasn't healthy and I definitely didn't ever condone or promote that kind of lifestyle but I was living it so I was still just this slave to this system that I just didn't really like but also I didn't really have an idea about how to to get out of it so I guess this time in lockdown has taught me so much about the things I want to continue to cross over into like this new normal of of living and working um things like you know my ability to kind of do workouts at home I didn't even know why I didn't consider that before it wasn't a huge thing because nobody really had the time unless you were like a a stay-at-home mum to do home workout um, but now I'm just like, no, it's like the best way to start my day to do something active and then go go ahead and like go about my way. And I've also realized that a lot of work can be, I was still running around to meet people um, in meetings, but actually sometimes we could do a Zoom, you know? Yeah. Even if it has reopened and the receptionist is really careful and safe and the offices have been wiped down, I'm probably still going to suggest the Zoom um, <laughs> simply because like you save a bit of money on travel and we yeah. still get to see that face to face. And, and you can probably time. fit more in the day, actually, that way. Instead of having to, like, factor in that time of travelling to right. one place to right. another, it's like, oh, OK, I can just do an hour here. Yeah, yeah. Something that I've just noticed yeah. that you said, um, and I think I'm really, really guilty of doing this as well, is, like, yeah. almost overcommitting to, like, doing so many things at once. Do you think yeah. that's, like, a freelancer mentality where it's, like, I've got... Because you've got to you're your own boss really and you've got to like secure your own uh work and do all of your things that you constantly have to feel like you've got 10 things going going at once or I don't know for me I feel like I constantly I'm not doing enough and I need to prove to myself that I've got more and then I just like do you think it's hard I mean I this is the one thing that's put me off being a freelancer because I'm like oh my god can I do it it is I think at the very at at the start the freelance culture is exactly that it's constantly never really focusing on what you have but focusing on what you need to get and always working ahead of yourself always taking that next project and it just doesn't stop depending on the kind of freelance work you do as well um if it's like a bookable thing and you're always being having to get booked and stuff then it's even more hectic right you don't actually stop and pause or take a break go on holiday um and I was just when I got my first year I was just like I was just strained I was just Mm. like this is too much like I need to be a bit more smart with this. I need to actually work smarter um, so that I can, you know, take a holiday and not have to work for three months because I've worked for this amount of time and I've saved up enough money to be good for three months. So I can just go traveling for three months if I wanted to. And I wanted to create 
a work scenario where I could <clears throat> essentially, what's the phrase again? Is it work to live or live to work? I think, yeah. Work to live? No. Yeah, work to live? <laughs> yeah, so I think everyone at the moment so I guess it was working, working to live. Yeah. I wanted to live to work. Yeah. Is that right? I think, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm, I'm on your page, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, because I think the idea of like, working on your life and killing yourself just so you can have a life and live is just like too much yeah definitely and I, like how do I change things up change the way I work work smarter um to the point where you know I you know got myself just before lockdown I got myself to the position where I wasn't really going out and about as much anyway I was kind of slowing things down I was already in two really big freelance contracts that didn't require me to be running around people and I realized that with the income from two uh, really big contracts, I didn't really need to do anything else. Like, yeah. I really didn't. The idea of doing more stuff is a kind of a societal culture that comes from nowhere yeah. on the fact of, you know, you need to be seen to be doing too much stuff. I was already in six months, two six-month contracts that were, like, cushy, and they kind of ended just when lockdown was happening anyway, so I was kind of safe. You know, in these contracts, I was actually kind of good. So the idea of doing any more stuff is just too much. It's showing off. It's like, this is how I burn out. And I have to have a really hard conversation with myself and understand, okay, if you're in this and you're projecting to make this, then why are you doing other things? Like, why are you being over Why are you killing yourself, basically? Yeah, it's just not worth it. So that's kind of how I approach most of, like, my freelance like the culture of freelancing really it's it's to work with what you need um and then some is great but never going to um then some if it's going to kill you if it's going to push you to the absolute edge and that's what i realized it was doing for no other reason other than this societal pressure of consumption of like you know how many things do you have in your pocket as you know all the time and it's just like it's too much like i'm okay with the work that i'm doing now and i'm i'm, I'm comfortable enough so that if you know with the COVID stuff which was looming that if those contracts were to end I'm still comfortable enough to ride it out and I think was a difference for a lot of people when lockdown was happening and at the start before the government was really supporting um self-employed there was a huge like oh my god what I'm gonna do I've been living paycheck paycheck to paycheck and you know my all my contracts and my paychecks have basically stopped so until the government can figure this out, I'm screwed on my rent and my bills. And I, I kid you not, that's one of the that's one of the scariest things as a freelancer. I, yeah. Not being real rent. That's one of the things that put me off for years about becoming a freelancer because I was like, oh my god, that's too much of a risk. But the thing for me, and and I guess for me, whenever I see a challenge that's preventing me from doing something, I always combat it from the get because I'm like, why am I why am I not becoming freelancer? I'm scared mm. of this thing that might happen, that might not happen. It's like, it's, the way my brain works and the way anxiety just kind of comes into it, it's so crazy. I was yeah. scared to be a freelancer because I was scared about the prospect of not making enough money to pay rent. And that's why I changed my, my whole mindset and my whole kind of framework on how I, how I made my income. Um, consistent, but also steady, but also good enough for me to feel, never feel that ever. And I can actually say successfully, I've never felt the strain and stress of how am I going to pay my my rent this month? That's because so I really good. took on, I took on that mindset. I said, always be working ahead of yourself yeah. in case of anything happening. And I guess the in case was COVID-19. So, uh, <laughs> Never saw that, that one coming. <laughs> when that came in, I was just like, okay, not so great. Yeah. 
contracts, but you do have some bit of savings to kind of cover yourself for however long this could last, you know? I mean, I probably had savings till about like August anyway, so this is a good timing. Yeah. <laughs> no, obviously, I, I can imagine for a lot of freelancers, a lot of young people yeah. who are living paycheck to pay- paycheck, the risk of not being able to cover those costs is really scary. So and scary. If you don't have the support of your family and friends and, you know, generational wealth to back you. It, it's a really tricky place to be in. I know a lot of people going on universal credit and a lot of people getting loans and credit cards and stuff. And it's like for young creatives who um, were kind of in the scene, up and coming, emerging, it's really scary. It's really risky. And I definitely think that there needs to be more of an educational piece on freelance culture definitely, to yeah. alleviate some of these issues that if it ever was to arise or if anyone was to have anyone was to have any um professional career issues with you know money drying up or not being able to kind of take things to the next level there needs to be more of an educational piece I think for younger emerging um, creatives and artists who want to or, or are already embarking on a freelance career to know exactly what to do in these moments um it's the same thing with like you know saving to buy a house the things that we weren't really necessarily taught in no, school exactly which is so fundamental to growing up and you just have no idea and all this kind of stuff, like, you know, the fact that you actually have to pay council tax when you leave university, like all the stuff that you have to learn kind of ad hoc on the job and experience it yourself before you kind of learn from your lessons. Yeah. I think be taught more widely in the hopes, I mean, I hope the government would, would do more to support self-employed people simply from, you know, the the experiences of what happened with COVID and actually realising that, raw like, there are a lot of self-employed people who are really struggling. Yeah. What do to prevent this happening again? Should there be another wave or any of that kind of stuff? Um, but, yeah, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a big opportunity there for any business or brand who speaks to young creatives or freelancers and stuff to do this educational piece because people just didn't know. Like, yeah. In terms of that kind of education, I do feel like that's something that you're kind of doing with Black Girl Fest Academy. Um, How did that come about? So did you have Black Girl Fest and then from that, the idea of doing an academy kind of was birthed from that or were the ideas kind of incepted at the same time? Um, And how how does that work? Because it's for for young women, isn't it? Between, is it uh, 17 and 25? Yeah, yeah. So Black Girl Festival obviously was birthed from just the need of wanting to create spaces for black women and girls in the UK. And that was from about 2017. And the Academy programme, one of our, every festival that we have is themed. And one of the themes that we have for the festival, um, I think it was 2018, was about providing access, learning and development for black women and girls. And that was for our... um, uh, festival goers and within our programming and everything was educational and informative so I guess just naturally as part of our ethos it's always been about kind of providing access learning and development and so any opportunity that we can kind of create conjure up collaborate with that does exactly that we're on we're on it and um, the academy program actually came out of a partnership in a conversation that we were having with the Today at Apple team who were being approached and in further conversations with the Mayor of London team to um, kind of do a, a huge uh, initiative to support vulnerable young people in London, in the city. And they approached Apple and then Apple approached us essentially. And so we kind of joined this kind of partnership 
where we kind of came up with the idea of Black Elder Festival Academy. We thought very much that, you know, as young events producers with a young business, we've learned so much about creating events for our communities and it just made so much sense for us to create some kind of network or channel where we can kind of showcase what we've learned and give it back to that same community who want to run their own events. Yeah, and it was just such a great, like, yeah, it, it had such um, a great response. We had about 500 applications of people here, people just wanting to learn more about how to take their idea and bring it to fruition. Yeah, because um, I think that's, that's the thing that is really frustrating and that's something that I find really annoying is when creatives are like, oh um like well the the opportunities are out there like people just aren't coming it's like there are so many incredibly talented people with such incredible ideas they just don't know how to nurture those ideas and and where the opportunities are to then to let those ideas grow so for you guys to be able to give them the tools to be able to do that is so so fantastic no this is the thing and we we knew that there are so many incredible black women who wanted to create more events for their communities they mm-hmm. want to in- inspire their communities their neighbors their friends um across various different industries and and sectors and they wanted to know how to kind of take what they've written on paper and make it actually happen and those resources can come from various different places i i do agree you can learn about event production you can go down some expensive course and you know you can you can learn the basics of like being really technical but i guess what's makes the academy um different is that we are doing things for our community and what we were kind of creating was so focused on doing it for black people and black Mm. women that it just made so much sense to learn from what we have done um you can go and do a basic event production course for example and you would still have to go and do further learning to learn how to skew it towards your community so it's i guess it's been really rewarding to kind of see how these girls have developed their ideas, but also learned so much from our facilitators and that team at Apple and just kind of learned so much more about what they probably didn't know could make their ideas bigger and better. Black Girl First, the first one was in 2017. So that means that you were my age when you did that, which is so crazy because I don't feel like I could do something like that that huge. There were over 4,000 people who attended the event, which is huge. Had yeah. you ever organised anything of that size before? And were, were you scared? Were you nervous? Were you thinking, we've got this incredible idea, but are people going to turn up? Um, what was that conversation like with your co-founders, her name Paula? And being so young as well, I think, like, did you feel a little bit out of your depth? Or were you like, no, 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 I, we've got a fantastic idea and we can make this work? I think I was super confident in the idea and the reception um, the year prior, 2016, is when I did Unmasked Women. And that was probably where I had more nerves and more anxiety about, like, oh, are people going to come? Like, especially doing that project solo, I didn't really have anyone else to bounce those ideas with. I was just, like, I was just doing my thing. And <laughs> I found my group chat, so, you know, my family group chat said it was a good idea. So I was like, okay, cool. Um, but putting it out to the world and the community was very nerve-wracking because I didn't imagine. know, at that time, nobody was having conversations about mental health publicly. Nobody was talking about the effects that it was having with black women and the, making those connections. And nobody was really having using art as a catalyst to have those conversations. So I had already gone through the process of being nervous about, ooh, is this going to take on? Is this going to work? And I guess the result of that was really great because in that it built a community of black women who were also interested in mental health, art and creativity, um, and having conversations 
conversations about black women's experiences. Um, so going on to a project like Black Girl Festival, it just made so much sense, yeah, right? It was it's a natural progression. women, but like tripled. It was just like... <laughs> And connecting all of those people together as well, yeah. Yeah, I've met so many incredible people from Unmasked Women who are now part of my personal networks and as well my co-founders' networks. And it was just bringing it all together. Like, it was was really taking what we'd seen, like, lots of different other people's collectives and projects and businesses and basically just putting them into one room. Um, So I think I was was mad confident that it was going to, like, pop off because um, I just felt like because it had never been done before, people attracted the fact that this is new this is for me and it's being done by two black people two black women so it's like of course why wouldn't I go so I think I was really confident in that um but yeah I guess naturally when thousands of people try to turn up and rock up in your venue that only has like about 800 capacity um but yeah the capacity did not emit a thousand people or even oh my god that's amazing though yeah People were queuing up for hours and hours and end. We were just like, oh my gosh, like, what the hell have we done? Like, this is <laughs> a beautiful no monster. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, like, it just shows the reception and the demand for such a space and how important it was. And yeah. after that moment, after seeing those queues, after seeing all those people, you're, honestly, you couldn't tell us nothing. Like, <laughs> it's like people will show up and show out and people will support. And we just we just felt like, like you know, when you go to a protest and everyone's in, with the one same spirit all yeah. fighting it was that it was kind of that oh, thing. I love it, that, was very, yeah. it was solidarity but it was like friendship and it was just like a, all those emotions when black women are in the same space smashed into one and it was just magical it was incredible so I guess after that moment it was it really kind of I guess personally it gave me a personal boost personal confidence boost um of knowing like wow this is my thing like creating space for black women is my thing. It's so crazy that you're saying that like 2016, that's only four years ago. And the fact that like, you're talking about how those conversations are not, had had not been open in like an open discourse. And that was so recently. It's so mad to think that that's like such a big deal to be talking about. Um, and I also think that it's really great for you as well, because I know that transparency is such a huge thing for you, especially on like your social media channels. You're always kind of, and I think this was something that was really great in the um, the speech that you did at Bloom as well, is that you want to show everyone each facet because as humans, like that's, we're not always amazing. We're not always sad, but we've got so many yeah. colours in between. But did you ever find it kind of, daunting the idea of being so transparent with with people and like opening up those discussions of mental health because you're really at the forefront of it and you're the one facilitating those discussions was there ever a part of you that was was scared or worried that people were going to judge you because I think that there is so much of that and there's obviously still so much of a stigma um around mental health that you know I think that's maybe something that restricts a lot of people from feeling like they can talk about it openly yeah, I think I was initially kind of scared. But the, the way that I approached Unmasked Women was that I know I had my own experiences and I was doing lots of research and I was just seeing so many commonalities between um, things that I was reading. But um, a lot of it was focused on African-American experiences and black women's experiences in the US and 
how um, you know racism and oppression had really affected black women in the US. But I just knew, and I knew from the history of um, black people in the UK that our experiences were so vastly different. There were some similarities, but being in the UK and as well, my personal story of being a migrant was just so, so different. And, you know, I guess just as part of my research, I just started speaking to different creatives and artists. You know, I went, I had a lot of coffees in Ace Hotel, you know, just chatting to people for hours on end about their experiences. And I guess from openly speaking to them very casually about my experiences, um, there are, in my project, it just, it, you know, and I had about 10 conversations. And by the end of each conversation, I had about 10, I, I got to having about 10 artists. I was like, oh. I've just got, I just confirmed 10 artists to be a part of this project that I'm doing, you know, and um, by speaking to them quite openly and quite frankly, it kind of each time built up my confidence to know that there were other people who felt the same way. Mm. You know, when you find someone who, you know, maybe like works in a different organization and they say, oh, I'm the only black girl in my office too. And they're just like, yeah, I feel that same way too. You're just like, oh my God, oh my gosh, like I felt that as well. That was basically happening like, basically 10 times over I was meeting more and more people and I was just like oh my gosh me too and the way that they expressed that feeling in their art was just so powerful and I just took onto it like whoa this is so cool I've got to do something with what you're saying and the art that you're showing me and yeah naturally that's just how the exhibition happened and I guess with that I learned to become more confident and more vulnerable because that vulnerability is how I was able to get these artists Mm. how I was able to um, construct this whole exhibition and this whole event series um do all those interviews that I was asked to do and then go and do a TEDx like you know I learned that being vulnerable but in a controlled capacity where you're sharing the, the carefully you know concise information with the community or with the audience or with the collective is how you can kind of take hold of that vulnerability to be to do good to be good and that was essentially what I was doing. I was just sharing more and more of myself. And it was actually healing. It was healing me from a lot of wounds because mm. that silence was pain. And not being That's able to heavy. talk about it with friends. Yeah, not being able to talk about it with my friends and family was causing me more pain. So I always say, like, you know, Unmasked Women was a very um, open and social and connective project. But it was also a really personal one. It was my outlet for talking about the issues that I was having um, I was going through the NHS for services um, and I wasn't receiving the best care and I was on waiting lists for ages and I just felt like I was there was just no other group. abandoned yeah. yeah and I guess as a typical creative I turned that whole thing into a project because I just wanted to find a way talk to other people and do it in a way that was just that I, t- I took my time with it there was no deadline there was no like brand partnerships where I had to really stress out it was a completely personal project of mine that I was doing on the side of working full-time you know so so I guess with that it built it really built up my uh ability to be vulnerable and to know how that vulnerability is power and to know how that vulnerability connects you to more people who feel the same way as you I was gonna say it's Um, building up so many connections and that trust with people that's really great yeah building trust and being your genuine self because Mm that's online or in person if you know to to be accepted is to be genuine and to show love and show kindness and I always try to walk around even to my enemy to show kindness and in some capacity because what is this life without it and so I I, I genuinely believe that 
the person that you see online or in person is the same person that I am with my friends and my family and my neighbor and do you know what I mean like I try to be genuine and vulnerable all the time because as human beings that's how we are made not everyone is on a hundred in her bag always good positive vibes like it's really not normal like to be like that all the time so I'm, I'm very open about sharing those vulnerabilities because I know it will help someone and that's power helping someone because you're, you've been vulnerable about an experience is powerful if, if I'm having a down day that's not going to define the rest of my life or the rest of my career or even the rest of that week it's just like okay yeah I'm gonna I can sit in this and then tomorrow I'm going to come back bigger better and stronger and I think you're so right it builds such a, a great connection with people to know that everyone is having that same experience as well <laughs> Another thing that I wanted to quickly chat to you about is Big Sis. Um, yeah. Because is that, is that a new project that you're working on at the moment? Um, I just would love to know a little bit more about that and what your thoughts are and how it's going to grow in the upcoming months. Yeah, so Big Sis is a new project that I've just been really passionate about. It was kind of first like months prior, um, probably like this time last year, um, I guess as I was in my freelance career. And kind of just the things that I'd learned and experienced about being a woman in the creative industry. And actually, I realized that a lot of the, the opportunities and the advice and support that I'd received from women, um, from um, being in the, in the creative industry, came from women. And I just thought it was so powerful. You know, I've had so many one-to-one coffee chats and phone calls and voice notes from women that I admire in the industry. And they've literally uplifted me into becoming the person that you see now. And I just thought that was so powerful. And I essentially just want to put a magnifying glass on those moments to make them more widely accessible. You know, why shouldn't everyone receive a voice note type message that kicks them up the bum to go and do that thing or that gives them advice about how much they should charge for that fee. And, you know, and I very much wanted to create a space that would do exactly that. Um, I'm such a believer on women supporting women, you know, the concept of if I win, you win, we all win. And I very much wanted to create something that would um, that would nurture that and that would create space for that. And given obviously with COVID and stuff, I was going to have like a really lovely launch and a little dinner party and all that kind of stuff. And it was all cute, cute, cute. <laughs> um, but with the lockdown and obviously with all the things that have been going on, I've been thinking so much more about what the community needs mm. and how to continue to better support them during this period because the world is changing. It will never change back. We can only move forward. And that means we have to all kind of pivot into a new realm of what um, what our communities need, really. Um, so I've been kind of taking my time with the project, actually. I'm hoping to launch it again really, really soon. Um, thinking more about resource-led information, thinking more about access to people and um, speakers and talent um, and networks, um, and definitely thinking more about, um, I guess, the the access to knowledge and information that, like I was saying, is like freelance and stuff that, yeah, that not have. Yeah, expertise-led stuff, experience-led stuff that people learn on the job, on the go, and are successful at it. So that's kind of what I've been thinking with with Big Sis. But it came off the idea about looking for a Big Sis in the industry, someone who you respect and admire, um, who can really just catapult you just by being there, you know? Mm. And I just feel like everyone has an opportunity to level up and to take their careers, businesses, and side hustles to the next level from the support of other women and you know I'm so anti like some of the empowerment feminist spaces that I see with like all the quotes and stuff and 
for me, they did nothing for me. You know, you go, girl, you've got this, girl. Like, I just thought they were just so like, <laughs> what are you, who are you talking to, first of all? I need the real information. Like, I walk away from a panel and I'd be like, I don't think I got anything from that. There were just so many things that I, I'd attended that I was like, I don't actually really know, you know, that question, she answered that question really vaguely about like how she got to where she was. And it's like, nobody. I found that a lot of in a lot of people in those spaces weren't actually sharing anything. They were just talking about their successes over and over again. Yes. Like, where can people actually get the access? Like, I'm always open about my fees, how much I get paid, you know, how I do things, my spreadsheets. I'm always sharing stuff because I'm like, if I win, you win. Exactly. I know. It's like you just bring everyone up, just share. That's completely, yeah. in a way, that's actually why I, I started this podcast because I was like, I just feel like I'm constantly having conversations with people where I want to figure out their career path and I want to understand how they've got to where they are. But it's really difficult because they just want to talk about the success and like how they're living in their success now and not the journey behind that because there really is no kind of like textbook you know ABC way especially in a creative industry every path is so incredibly different from one person to another so yeah being able to like dissect the brains of of all of these people who have been able to create such a success for themselves is yeah just such a, a wonderful like gift to give someone um which is a great so it's kind of like a mentorship in a way but like an expansive one not just yeah. one person to another yeah it's it, it's kind of like a mentorship but it's based on the idea that there is no ultimate big sis right it's kind of a trip it's knowing that to everyone there is a big sis to them there is always someone that someone like you know the most inspiring person probably has someone that they continue to inspire them right so it's with the notion that there is no ultimate big sis that we should look up to that kind of is a place this weird hierarchy that we see sometimes in empowerment spaces that you know I'm the best and you have to learn everything from me it's it's understanding so it takes a lot of the premise of um mentorship um but makes it more focused on like shared learning so I learn something from you and you learn something from me and we share what we learn and um so it's not in traditional sense of mentoring with matching people up and then them going away and trying to figure out what to do with their lives it's more of an educational format and platform that continued sharing and learning can exist yeah there's a longevity there it's not just a one-off it's like continuous yeah and i find that although mentoring platforms do definitely work and sisterhood platforms do definitely work for those one-time moments I know that for a lot of people who are quite similar to me, freelancers, entrepreneurs, creatives, it's a continuous thing. It's a constant relearning of new things. Even with me as an entrepreneur, I'm still learning and doing events and doing webinars myself to continuously learn new things and to learn from other people, but still having so much to share of my own learning. So it's just realizing that we're always learning from each other. No one is the ultimate big sis because there's always someone that continues to inspire you and that you continue to inspire yourself um and i want to create this kind of chain where we see more and more of people within our community doing well from each other you know and yeah it's kind of like an idealistic dream i don't even know if it's ever been done before but i just thought so much more about like my experience in the industry and what i know i can give back and and also just knowing some badass babes who <laughs> want to get this information they want to share this time but they can't commit to a mentoring program they can't commit to you know because of this busy schedules um doing things more one-to-one so making information more widely accessible is like the dream 
Um, so yeah, it's it's a, it's a passion project of mine. But yeah, I, I I wanted to just not feel the pressure of like, oh, now that you have all this free time at home, you better start a new project, you better run start your business, you better you know kickstart that thing. And it's like, nah, like I'll probably never get these three months ever again in my working yeah, career. Exactly. So I'm gonna chill out. Don't let ever get this time again. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna. I also don't know if this environment is like conducive to being like a great creative person right now. Like for some people, they probably are massively thriving and they're like, yes, this is sick. Like I feel really like the creative juices are flowing, but it can feel quite claustrophobic and it can be a bit like meh. And I think it's fine to realise that it's not the most like conducive environment for being super creative. So, and that's absolutely fine. The whole health get outside your house, like it's not the normal creative zone for you to just have, you know, to bang out work. Like they're, are still lots of other societal health issues and you can't ignore that just so you can be creative like perfect the creative juices and stuff it's not a normal scenario and I I I accepted that really early on because I was like you know I was seeing a lot of messaging that was just saying this isn't a normal thing unprecedented times all these kind of language basically saying this isn't normal don't yeah this is probably someone's gonna make a film about this in Hollywood in a couple of years about this covid virus thing that yeah <laughs> the amount like, oh my god the amount of covid films that are going to yeah. come out of this you know like i'm sure there's, oh, there's definitely been like films about viruses and stuff and you know hollywood films about the world ending you know they love that stuff in america um but this isn't normal thing you no. know this is some smallville like it's not normal so <laughs> like, so that's why i'm just like it doesn't mean you should be doing the normal things and and like i said like this time not having this again and taking that time to slow my whole body down was just so necessary. Um, who do you think is like a big sis to you or someone that inspires you or has during your career? Yeah, I, I, I'll probably say two. Um, Clara Ampho, she's incredible. Boo, um, yeah, love her. That's my perspective as well. She gives me so much like advice and information on the industry that I don't know where I would, would have got that from the perspective of being a black woman as well. It's just so rewarding to know someone who's been in the industry for, you know, this amount of time who can just say it like it is and be like, hey, Nicole, this is what you should do. And that is honestly, like, so rewarding. Another person who's been the same, interestingly, both on radio and TV, but June Sarkong, absolute fangirl, obviously, used to watch her on telly. And then (laughs) um, we both spoke at the same event. And then she followed me on social media. And I was like, oh, my God, June Sarkong. My fellow Ghana sister, oh my god! Like again, she like you know had a few phone calls, few messages and stuff. She introduced me to so many incredible people. Like she's constantly speaking about me in rooms, and I'm just like freaking insane! Like oh my god! Like I was watching her on telly when I was a kid, Um, and yeah, just her words of wisdom as well, and the kind of trajectory that she's taken her career, pivoting a lot as well, coming out of TV. Um, and uh, media and going into this incredible career as an author, now working as director of uh, diverse, director of diversity, I think it was. She's creative director of diversity. I'm not sure. Yeah, the she's in the BBC and doing like crazy amazing stuff there. So I, and I know that for a fact that she was definitely, you know, obviously with a team of people, but working behind that to keep pushing for that. And that's the kind of um, big sis kind of image Energy, that I have. Yeah. Like, yeah, who I admire. I have no doubt they're probably looking at me thinking that I'm doing something that they admire. So it's just that shared energy of respect and appreciation for the work that we're both doing and stuff. But those, those two both come to mind, both from Ghana as well. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, but most of, um, most recently, those two have really, really um, supported like my career and stuff, and just did a lot of direction of, of the ways I'm going because um, sometimes you, you, if you don't have a lot of people who are who get it, it's hard to kind of you know get that piece of advice to really give you that kick to take things to the next level. And I'm all about taking things to the next level. So um, yeah. Um, so I just want to answer your final question, uh, which I asked all my guests. What is the thing right now that you're feeling the most uncertain about? I'm probably feeling most uncertain about when I'll get to go to an art gallery again. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why that sounds so like crazy. Only because like, <laughs> there, was, there were two exhibitions that I was really eager to see at the Tate. Um, by two black and non-binary artists and I think it was probably like the first time for Tate it was huge Lynette Adamboachi and Susanna Baholi and I was working with the Tate to oh. uh, kind of work with Tate collectives for the marketing and partnerships and I'm just an avid fan of their work so I was just really eager to see it but that's all been postponed now and there's other ways to see it digitally but for me I think as a black woman, being in a space and seeing other black women's art, it's incredibly powerful. And an institution like the Tate, so, so great. And um, I guess with obviously things being moved back, it will eventually happen. But with the uncertainty, with the way the world is moving right now, we don't know if that's going to be the 4th of July or even later than that. Um, so I think that's probably what I'm feeling a little bit uncertain about as well, as well as the additional stress above, uh, you know, a second wave and the, the more like, you know, <laughs> important things. For me personally, I'm like an avid lover of art and creativity and the access to these public spaces and art galleries was basically how I, how I took care of myself yeah. while I was just one and just be inspired. Um, and what do you feel most certain about? I feel most certain that we're going to make it through this, that the world is going to be okay, that um, the way communities and people, strangers, have plowed together to support one another um, just shows how there is some humanity left in the world. Yeah, um, So we live in such a destructive and dis- dis- disruptive uh, world. But just seeing how people have plowed together to support one another is... Um, has just been really inspiring and, and really warming. Um, strangers in the street, but also neighbours, have come support one another at the peak of things. So the, I guess I'm certain that the kindness that we've shown each other is going to remain. Continue, definitely. And continue to be something that is 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 signifies rural Britishness, if anything. But it's going to be something that I'm hoping will become normalised, that we do speak to our neighbours more. You know, we were yeah. only doing it because we knew some of them were living alone, but we shouldn't have to wait till a pandemic to, before we spoke to our neighbours to see if they're okay, you know? Oh, it's and, such uh, a thing in London as well, for like, as soon as you see someone looking at you, you're like, what do you do? Like, you always want to second guess it, and you're like, oh, what are you, what, what's well, going on? Yeah. yeah, like, why are you staring at me? Whereas now, <laughs> I mean, that's such a bad way as well to like interact with humans. I think now it's it's so nice to be able to, yeah, like feel that togetherness and that collective um thank you so much like a thousand times thank you for this I feel like I could talk to you forever you've got like just a fountain of knowledge um and I just appreciate it so much Nicole so um hopefully I'll be seeing you at one of your events very very soon I'm definitely gonna be um signing up for big sis I can't wait it's gonna be sick and just yeah enjoy the rest of your 
uh, lockdown life, girl. Keep making that banana bread. I'll wait for the recipe. <laughs> Bye. Thank you so much again to Nicole for this really insightful chat. I had the best time. Uh, and if you guys enjoyed the episode, please like, rate, share and subscribe. Edited as always by the lovely Noam Mazzeri and I will see you guys all soon. Bye.